0: A readings from Romans chapter 5, reading from verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have, a, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, Shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word. Well, good evening,
1: good evening, one and all. My name is Matt Fuller. Uh, if we're not met, I'd love to do so afterwards. Romans chapter 5. Now, uh, my wife, you may or may not have met her, uh, she suffers with vertigo. She has done for about 40-odd years, and it doesn't disappear. And so, um, it doesn't have to be particularly high. You can just, the, fairly recently, with the Tower of London, and it's just classy, oh, look, let's go and look at it. Oh, don't go to the edge, don't go to the edge. Pull the kitchen back from the edge, don't go anywhere near the edge. My darling, the wall is yay high. It's quite hard to get over the wall this high. Don't argue with my vertigo. It is an irrational fear. And, you know, there's something to that. Uh, but she's always suffered. We've been on the London Eye, and I'm like, oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. And she's just in, in, on the bench in the middle of those pods in just a gibbering wreck. Are we nearly there yet? No, this thing moves at half the speed of a tortoise. We've got a long time until we go all the way around. She, she's suffered with a vertigo for years and years. But everything changed, well, quite a bit last year. We uh, sat and watched this documentary called Vertigo Road Trip, which took five people uh, from waif-like, tiny little uh, young girl to big rhino of a man, and uh, ages, all, all sizes and ages, five people who suffered with vertigo, they had some training, teaching, his how you overcome your vertigo, and uh, then they were set to work, so they had to go across a suspension bridge. You know, uh, they had to go to the top of a 50 meter dive—no, it's not 50 meter, 20 meter diving board and stand and jump—and uh, then at the, the, the culmination, they had to go to the Burj Khalifa, which uh, I think is still currently the, the tallest building in the world, and uh, go onto the viewing platform. And, uh, some got better, and some were still. Gibbery Rex. It's uh, fair to say, but the things my wife learned on this, they had some fairly key things you had to learn. They were these: you need to one, when you're when you feel your legs go, horizon. You've got to find a point on the horizon and look there, which is all very well unless you're on the tallest building in the world, which is you know, the uh, anyway, horizon. You've got to look. Don't look down. Look at fine. Horizon is uh, one of them. Distraction. Sing a song. Have someone sing to you. Something else to take your mind off it. Third, chemistry. Uh, when you're vertical, your legs go to jelly. And um, you need to know that your legs have not become very weak, that actually they're being pumped full of blood and they're stronger than they've ever been. Your legs have become like trunks and are not, tree trunks and are not allowed to, uh, not about to fall beneath you. That's the third chemistry. Fourth reason, you have to reason with yourself, which is to say, I'm stood upon this tall building. It has been here for a number of years without falling down. Many people have been on this viewing platform, none have died, I am like them. And this is, so then we go through this routine, and it kind of works. So in the summer, we uh, had to do a, a rope bridge. Uh, we are in the jungle, visiting some friends, not that, not that they were monkeys or anything, but they were friends, lived near uh, the jungle, on the island of Borneo. And it was a classic, you know, Indiana Jones-type rope bridge, you know, securely tied at two ends, but wibbly-wobbly and in the middle. Uh, no madman with an axe, but still it was wibbly-wobbly and... Um, it worked. Horizon, distraction, chemistry, reason, it worked. Now, why do I tell you that? Yeah, okay. There's a sense in which the Christian life is a bit like that. Particularly when we get to the middle of this passage. There are times in this life when we lose hope. Are we going to make it as Christians? We lose faith in God. Is it worth trusting God now? I'd quite like to indulge in this sin. Do I trust him? And it is a bit like walking across a wobbly rope bridge and we need to know where we've come from. We need to know where we're going and we need to know what to expect in the middle of that bridge. And Romans 5 is very clear. We need to know what's happened in the past to expect what was coming in the present and have a very clear confidence in our future. And that keeps you going. Keeps you going. Now we're jumping into uh, Romans 5 to 8. We'll spend a couple of months uh, in these uh, four chapters this term. And why are we jumping into 5 to 8? Well, really, because I want to change. Uh, we plan the year, it gets, you know, we looked at a uh, block of Matthew's gospel, uh, gospel. we looked at uh, some Old Testament narrative, spring, okay, we're going to study an epistle this spring, what shall we study? And uh, I got to choose, because I was going to preach it, and I thought, I want something on change. I want something on living the Christian life, and growing, because I'm a bit fed up sometimes, I'd like to be more joyful I'd like to be less angry. I'm quite good at hiding it. You wouldn't know, but in my heart, I'd like to change. And so I decided I wanted to teach Romans 5 to 8. And uh, I'm in charge. You, That's what happens. And uh, But I think it would be good for all of us. This wonderful section on living under God's grace. Now if you know the letter to the Romans, chapters one to four are really coming under grace. So uh, why we need it? Because none of us are righteous. All of us are sinful. We lack the righteousness we need to stand before God. But in Jesus Christ, His sacrifice upon the cross, righteousness is provided. Chapters one to four. Chapters five to eight. Now how do we live? Under grace. Bracketed here, chapters 5, 1 to 11, by this dominant passage of hope. You can have hope. You will make it to the end. Chapter 8, verses 28 to 39, you can have assurance. You can have hope. You will make it to the end of the Christian life. So this section on Christian living, bracketed by hope. Got to be clear on that. You've got to know the horizon and look there and know where you're going. So chapter 5, verse 1, is a good summary of the letter so far. Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith. Justified. Look across to uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. It's very clear that it's the opposite of being condemned. We'll get there next week, but chapter 5, verse 16. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So condemnation or justification. They're opposites. It's legal language. Now, legal language may not get you excited, but it's quite important. If you stand in a courtroom and you're in the dock, the verdict comes from the jury. The, uh, the head of the jury will stand up at the end of your trial and say either guilty or innocent, condemned or justified. It's quite important in that set, in that setting. And the truth of the scriptures is all of us are naturally guilty. The Christian is the man or woman who knows they're guilty. But Christ has given him her righteousness. There's been an exchange upon the cross. He takes our condemnation, we receive his righteousness or justification. We know that. So chapters 1 to 4 explain all of us are condemned, but that by faith in the work of Jesus Christ, we can be certain that we're legally justified. Given that, he says, now I know that, now we've agreed that, let's talk about what life looks like. That's the past. In the present, we have peace and we stand in grace. In the future, we have hope. Got to know those differences. What's happened in the past, what to expect in the present, what to have in the future. And if you get it right, it's not just essential for Christian living, not just adrenaline that you need when your legs are wobbling and you think, I'm going to give up. It leads you to joy. You see, that's the dominant note of the passage. End of verse two, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we rejoice in our sufferings. Verse 11, not only is this so, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Very briefly before we jump into the main section. There's a past, present, and future. Past then. We're justified through faith. Now, I don't know about you, but that's our status. That's our legal status. Not often does legal status get people very excited. Have you ever thrown a party about your legal status? Well, not likely. Particularly if you have born in this country and brought up in this country, you're a British citizen and you just take it for granted. I am legally British is not something that gets you dancing from the rooftops, if you've known it all your life. But there are benefits that flow from that. You will be educated in this country. You will be um, uh, cared for if you're sick. You will receive financial benefits if you fall on hard times. You will be protected by the law. There are real benefits, practical, tangible benefits, if you know your legal legal status is secured. Just so in the Christian life. In the past, God has justified us through our faith in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian. What does that mean in the present? Two things in the present. One, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We had declared war on him. He was angry with us, but he's forgiven us through Jesus Christ. Peace. It's not just a feeling. Sometimes we feel peaceful, sometimes we feel anxious and fretful. I am at my most peaceful lying on a lilo in the middle of a swimming pool in the sun. I feel very peaceful at those moments in time. But this is an objective peace that doesn't change. God has put down His weapons. He's no longer angry. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, that doesn't change. Oh, we sin. He may be grieved by our sin. He might discipline us, but those are actions of a loving Father. He's never angry with us. There's peace. And the second thing in the present is, we stand in grace. We have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Again, this is not a location. I'm in the church, I'm on the streets, I'm on my bicycle. This is a relationship. We stand in grace. Bit like marriage, you marry and you stand in marriage. And sometimes you're grumpy, and sometimes you're in love, and sometimes you're profoundly irritated, and just want to go away and leave me alone. And sometimes it's all lovey-dovey. You, that all the emotions will change, but you stand in marriage. The difference here is, Lord, the Lord is constant towards us. We are fickle, and our emotions are all over the place. He is constant. It says, I, I show you grace. You stand in my grace. That does not change in the present. So past justified by faith in the present, peace and standing in grace and the future while well, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that's the dominant note of this passage. Looking forward. Yes, we're on this wobbly rope bridge. We know in the past it's secure, justified by faith, Christ's work finished. We know in the future there's glory to come. Got to have those two things clear in order to live the Christian life. But the dominant idea is hope. Three things about hope then. We're kind of halfway there, but three things about hope. Our sufferings grow our hope, three to four. Our hearts are filled with love, five to eight. And our reconciliation guarantees our salvation, nine to ten. Okay. First then, uh, why, why hope? What are the reasons we've got for hope? Well, first, verses 3 to 4, our sufferings grow our hope. Verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Does it? Rejoice in sufferings? That is counterintuitive to us because we want life to be comfortable. And yet if you're a Bible reader, you shouldn't be surprised because James chapter 1, he has basically the same list. Give thanks because you're, you, know, you take joy in your sufferings, it grows your hope. 1 Peter 1, he basically has the same list. We give thanks in trials because they grow our hope. So we shouldn't be surprised if we're Bible readers. But it is unusual to our thinking in the modern world. Not that suffering intrinsically teaches us to grow it doesn't sometimes suffering makes us very angry but God uses suffering as a platform to teach us so we rejoice in what suffering achieves that's why so what does happen what's the logic Uh, we rejoice in suffering suffering produces perseverance endurance here's the ability of the marathon runner they get to 20 miles and they push on through to 26 even though it hurts You push on through, there's endurance, perseverance. Why are you able to do that? Because you've been trained. Sufferings train you so you're ready for life's trials. So uh, suffering, it grows our endurance, our perseverance. And perseverance produces character. Not, Brad, he's a character, isn't he? He's always got a great story to tell, always makes you laugh. Not, way, what a character, but Proven character. Reliable. Testedness. Uh, Every so often, I take my bicycle to Balf's Bicycles. It's genuinely a shop, uh, very near where I live. And I take it there and they repair it or I buy some kit from them. And I've gone there for six years. Back and I always go back to the same place. Why? Because they're reliable. I have tested their, the quality of their service. I have tested their integrity. And they always make my bike work and don't charge me a lot of money. And sometimes they'll say, we could give you a new derailleur for 35 or pounds, or we could give you this widget for a quid and that'll sort it out for the next six months. You know, they're just really honest about it. And that's Balf's Bicycles on the Kennington Road. I would inc- <laughs> He's a nice bloke, could do with a bit more business, and I encourage you towards them. Um, but that's a tested character. I've gone there. I've tried it out. He's reliable. And that's what suffering does. So you lived a Christian life. And hey, I'm a Christian and it's great and I love the Lord. Do you? Suffering reveals it. Now, as you wander around London, there are lots of uh, happy, smiley people, and generally those are the people it's more fun to spend time with. It's more fun to spend time with positive people than morale hoovers. That's just true. I would rather do that. But you've got to be honest about it. Some people are chipper and happy just because life is good. It's not intrinsic to their character. Well, I, even for myself, I'd say, when I've got no money worries, no health worries, my family's on great form, work goes well, uh, my wider family and in-laws are all delightful, and not, then I'm easy company. When life is easy, it's quite easy to be upbeat. And you get churches where there are lots of people are like that, yeah, life is great, we love the Lord, because they've got no problems. It's not easy, sorry, excuse me, it's not difficult to express delight in the Lord when life is delightful. The eyes is your delight in the Lord. See, when suffering comes along, it removes many of the things we take pleasure in. Then you know if your delight is in the Lord. So suffering comes along and you might lose your health, job, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it may be. What happens then? Now what should happen, says Paul, is the Christian endures those things and their character is tested and still through it they can say, this sucks, objectively, but I love the Lord. He is still worth praising, even though at the moment things are rough. That is tested character. A number here will know or remember uh, Matt Lloyd. Matt Lloyd was assistant minister here uh, for, uh, and uh, a bit years. And, um, it was two years ago that he contracted an illness and lost the use of his legs. Uh, so he's now, uh, in a wheelchair and, um, uh, still, uh, ministering, but in a suburban church where it's easier to get around, uh, in a wheelchair in central London. Now, in your mid-thirties to go from being, uh, very fit, very active to losing your legs objectively, that is not good. That's not fun. No one objectively says, hey, I've lost my legs. Well, they were a waste of time anyway. They just took up more space. What's the point of having No. Objectively, that's miserable. And yet here's a man, I would suggest, who has been tested and has a more mature hope and joy. He um, sent a letter just before Christmas. Uh, uh, I asked him, and he said it was fine to read from it. Let me quote a little bit. Nearly two years on, I continue to experience a wide range of emotions. Sometimes I feel the need to express the raw cries or confusion of the Psalms, Why, Lord? Yet because of the hope and joy Christ gives, I've been able to express some deep sadness without fear of sinking. In fact, because of the sadness I've experienced, I am driven more deeply into the hope Christ's resurrection has secured. It's a ballast for the soul. That means I can move forward in joy. That is a tested character who has known suffering and says, I hope more than ever for the future and I still rejoice in the Lord. So what suffering does. It matures faith. So verse two, we rejoice in hope. It enables us to ex- to uh, endure the sufferings, and it grows our hope. There's sort of a virtuous spiral going up here. You enter with hope, you endure, you grow more hope. So that's the first. Our sufferings grow our hope. That's the first reason to be positive, have hope for the future. Second, but you see, you've got to know that when you're on the bridge. You've got to know that when you're wobbling. That's what we expect here and now sometimes. Not necessarily to lose legs, but pain, trials, they come. During life. Secondly, second reason to hope. Our hearts are filled with God's love. Very interesting. Verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us. It's not vacuous. It's not pie in the sky. You can be confident. Hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Whom he's given us. It's a lovely phrase in it. God has poured out his love. It's not given it. You can have a little bit of love, and you can have a little bit of love, and you can have a little bit of love. And I'm running a bit short here, so let's rip it in two, and you just get half a tiny little bit of love each. Doesn't doesn't say that, obviously. God has poured out. There's an extravagance to this. Poured out his love. Uh, One of my little things is I adore custard. Love custard. Love custard. If I'm coming to your house, I love custard. Just so you know. I love custard, and uh, wonderfully, all of my family indulge me in this little uh, foible, and so if, in my own house, in my in-laws, in my parents, if ever a pudding is served up that would uh, come with a custard accompaniment, out comes the bucket of custard, and it gets passed around, I always go last, because everyone has their sort of uh, dessert spoon and sort of ladles on, um, a little bit of custard into their bowl, you know, a little bit of accompaniment. Everyone done? Everyone done? Great. Mm. And I just pour it on. And uh, if I've got less than two litres, I'm a bit disappointed. I love custard. Want custard. Love it. I pour it out. I'm not holding back. I love it. There's always room in my tummy for custard. Always. Love it. God pours out his love. There's an extravagance to this. It doesn't hold back. It's interesting. This language of pouring out... Seems to me it's a very obvious echo of the Old Testament prophets. So Joel 2, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, God promises to pour out His Spirit as a blessing of the new covenant. Now Paul chooses here to say God pours out His love, very deliberate, by His Spirit. But we're meant to hear that echo. It's a blessing of being a Christian that believers in the Old Testament wouldn't have had this sense, certainty of God's love in their hearts. It's a wonderful thing that God gives here and now. But you can't rip verse 5 off and have it as a bumper sticker apart from verses 6 to 8. They go together. Verse 5, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. You see, literally, for or because. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us because at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You can't rip apart this sense that God will give you in your heart that He loves you, that subjective feeling. You can't tear that apart from the objective work of what Christ has done on the cross. Which described it is very striking language, isn't it? We were, verse 6, powerless. We were ungodly, verse 6. We were sinners. It was then that Christ died for us. And verse 7 is a very powerful verse. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Even today in the press, uh, if someone dies for a friend or a boy dies on behalf of their brother, they're celebrated. That'll get front page. That's, that's a hero. That's magnificent. Not often. It takes place. Even rare is to die for someone who hates you. That is a rare thing, says Paul. I've uh, uh, commented before, I've been rereading recently uh, memoirs of John Vermbrand. He was a, a Romanian pastor who uh, was imprisoned under the Nazis of the Second World War and then more uh, uh, unpleasantly under communists uh into the 50s in uh, Romania when the church was driven underground illegal to publicly preach um and uh, his memoirs are um uh, inspiring but also quite brutal actually I wouldn't recommend them to one and all it's quite graphic uh how he describes but he I was reading his memoir he also talks about another preacher there John Stănescu Again, he was one who was in prison for his faith, but wouldn't stop preaching. So he said, we made a deal with the, uh, the prison guards. We would preach, they would beat us. Both of us seemed happy with that deal, which is, uh, an odd deal to, uh, to strike. But he just kept on preaching. So John Stonesky was preaching and got beaten and got beaten. Um, eventually the, a new man took over the prison, Colonel Alban. And after a week of hearing this, Colonel Alban just got incensed. Was a violent violent man. man. And he himself went down to the cells and said, you will stop preaching. And uh, John Stanescu said, "Well, actually, I won't. I will beat you." Well, you might do that, but God is a judge; He'll see what you do. Uh, and so, I'd be careful if I were you. You know, somewhat brave. And this just incensed Colonel Alban, who demanded that um, Stonescu was strung up, stripped, and he himself got the uh, uh, the cane and just was just about to start beating him. He was called to his office, and uh, went to his office, and was often the case in in that communist culture, he had been dobbed in for being disloyal. There's loads of backstabbing going on, a complete lack of trust. And so he himself, Colonel Albin, was then arrested for being an, uh, an anti-revolutionary. So one hour after just about to beat John Stanescu, he found himself in a cell with him and eight other inmates. And the inmates went to lynch him as a brutal man. Stanescu wrapped himself around him. And took a load of beating from all the fellow prisoners. And a little while afterwards, when everything had calmed down and the violence had calmed down, the colonel said, interesting question, the colonel said, where did you get the power to act like that? And Snesky said, I'm just following my savior. It is very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. Jesus didn't just protect us from being beaten. He died to spare us from the wrath of God. That's extraordinary. It is an extraordinary thing. But do you see, And verses 5 to 8 insist that we hold together the objective facts of what Christ has done, along with this subjective feeling of God pouring love into our hearts. And not everyone does that. But that's what's insisted here. Verse 5, do you see? God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us because Christ died for the ungodly. We feel that way because of what actually happened in the past. Or indeed, verse 8, God demonstrates, present tense, God demonstrates his own love for us, so demonstrates it today, here, now. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, present tense, why we were still sinners, Christ died for us, past tense. How do you know that God loves you today? Christ died for you. And that changes you you got to hold these two things together, the objective and the subjective. So, you know, how classic it works. There's Jill, uh, and Jill says, God loves me. And you say, oh, it's nice. How do you know, Jill? Because I feel warm and fuzzy tonight. And so I'm persuaded that God loves me. Well, I'm not sure that's quite how the Bible would put it, Jill. And over here there's Jack, and Jack says, I am justified by faith. I stand righteous before the Lord. And how do you feel about that, Jack? I do not compute your question. I don't feel anything. I have a legal status. How do you feel a legal status? Well, that's not quite right either. Paul, do you know the love of God? I know that God loves me. Paul, how do you know that? Because I look back upon the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross and God has demonstrated that to me. And it's very wonderful. Got to hold the two together. Or as Isaac Watts would tell us, it is when I survey the wondrous cross upon, the, um, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died is my richest gain, I count but loss, I pour content with all my pride and I want to boast and I want to sing. And when I survey, when I consider, when I think about, when I dwell upon, when I learn new things about what Jesus did upon the cross, when I understand that more deeply, I know God loves me. I know He loves me as I dwell upon what Christ has done, the Spirit pours the love of God into my heart, and I have enormous confidence that he loves me. That's how it's meant to work. Why hope? Our sufferings grow, our hope, our hearts are filled with God's love last. Our reconciliation guarantees our salvation. Verses 9 and 10, essentially parallel, make the same point. Since we have now been justified by his blood... How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were in God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? God has done the hard thing. Of course he'll do the easy thing, is the logic here. If when we were enemies he died to reconcile us, of course on the final day he'll save us. Well, verse nine. If we were facing God's wrath and Jesus took that wrath for us in the past, well, of course, on the last day, we'll be saved. God's done the hard thing. Of course, he'll do the easy thing. It's obvious. How do you have confidence for the future, Paul? I look back to the past, what God has done. See how these things sit together? We're on the bridge. It's a wobbly bridge, it's a rope bridge, it sways in the wind. Every so often our feet slip and we think, oh my goodness, I'm going to fall off. What do you do? You look back to what's happened in the past. God's work. We have been justified, is the Christian's cry. And I look forward, therefore, to being with him in glory. He's done the hard thing, he'll do the easy thing. And when I suffer in this life and it goes wrong, I think, well, God wants me to fix my eyes ever more on the horizon. It's a bit like vertigo road trip. I fix my eyes on the horizon. I reason with myself. God loves me. I can see it at the cross. He demonstrates it. He's not going to let me go now. He does want what's best for me. Honoring him is better than sin. I know those things. So I keep going forward. And I don't fall. And so verse 11 Rejoice in God. rejoicing God. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are not just truths. Yes, I believe that. Tick, tick, tick. I'm to hope in the future. Yes, I'm to hope in the glory of God. Yes, I'm to hope in myself. Hope in God. Relationship. You know him. Trust him. Look at what he's done for you in the past. Look at what he promises in the future. You can trust him. So be distracted, if that's not too pathetic a word, by rejoicing in God. You see, that's Paul's note here. He's talking about suffering and how discouraging it can be when he says, oh, I want to rejoice because I know what God's doing. I'm not going to lose my slipping. I'm not going to slip and lose my grip. I know where I'm going my status in the past, my certain place in heaven in the future, I'll hold on now. I'll hold on. And that's changing. As he'll go on to say, you get these things clear, that's a truth that'll keep you, it'll change you. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, here is a, a wonderfully rich passage. Again, we scratched the surface of it. We could spend a month easily thinking through all the wonderful truths here. But would we, if nothing else, leave here rejoicing in you? Rejoicing in the hope we have of sharing in your glory because of the work of Jesus Christ. Do not lose confidence in that. Would we not get distracted and look elsewhere for our pleasures? Would we not think that sin is more enticing than him? Would we look back to our justification, look forward to sharing with you in glory? Have confidence that now we have peace with you. We stand in grace and therefore will we rejoice. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.